It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, my name is... Oh, fuck. Pleased to meet you. We're all glad you came. Won't you try and remember our name? Hello and welcome back to Locked on Sharks on this Quarantine Tuesday. Uh, my name is J.D. Young and I am joined to one, just Eric. So Eric, the uh, Pistons to my Bulls in 93, 92, 91, I don't know, whenever the Bulls won, 91 when the Bulls won their first title. Let's go with that. That was a terrible intro. That's all right, How man. I don't, I never really watched basketball. Remember, I like vaguely remember Jordan winning his sixth title and watching it kind of on TV and like running outside and be like, Dad, Jordan won again. My dad was like doing yard work and he was just like, I like, great. Congratulations. Yeah. Like, um, you're grounded, Derek. Get back great. Yeah. Yeah. You're get, get back behind the lawnmower. You little <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I haven't watched the last dance yet. I do, I do still plan to, but I just don't care that much. So, um, Thank you for for digging into me like that. I really appreciate the insult. Yeah, I will say uh, they have they one of the episodes was on Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra was his girlfriend at the time, and they have Carmen Electra on, and she still brings it, man. She's like <laughs> almost fifty, and she still has it. But Dude, anyway, yeah, yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> that's like that's like that Hollywood money right there. You just get yeah. whatever you need done. Yeah, she yeah she's still bringing it. Um, uh, but we're not talking about Carmen Electra today. Um, locked on Carmen Electra coming this later this summer. Um, but today we are going to be talking about another article wrote. So, uh, today we're going to be talking about predicting a shark's trade. So you have actually kind of gone through some of the uh, research what other teams kind of like what they look for in trades, um, especially with what the assets that the sharks have. And then you have actually whittled it down and you have found who you think the Sharks are going to trade for. Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically like when you see people make statistical models to try to predict something. It's like doing that, but but very, very, very manually and with a much smaller sample size. So I'm sure that that this is never actually going to happen in real life. But But my premise was essentially that it's fun and, and it's and it's entertaining to go onto cat friendly and make an arm, armchair GM team and like create some wild trade and see what happens. But but I I've sort of learned over the years. So evolving wild, the twins behind evolving wild, did their contract projection model and they've done it the last few years. And and Matt Kane on Twitter did it before they started doing theirs. And the interesting thing was that they found that the two biggest predictors of what the next contract is going to be is like time on ice and raw points scored, which is kind of, kind of crazy. If you think about it, like there's gotta be better way to evaluate player performance, but anyway, still how GMs do it. So I was like, well, if they do contracts that way, why wouldn't they evaluate potential trade targets with the same numbers? I was like, okay, let's look at, Let's assume that the Sharks need to trade for a forward, which they do, and assume they do. that Doug Wilson um, 
believes that's the case um, because his mandate is to, is to get back to the playoffs next year, ideally, maybe two years. We don't know how much time Hasso Plattner is going to grant him. Um, I wanted to see if when GMs have made trades in the past, there was a certain type of statistical or other profile of forwards they traded for and sort of what the returns were because yeah it's always fun to be like oh well you're gonna like send x y and z team classic and a first round pick to unload his contract and like a couple other assets and then you're gonna get some like young good player in return i'm just like i don't so we can't trade marcus sorison and uh and uh and uh, melker carlson for like you know, Sidney Crosby or something. It doesn't work out like that. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. No. It doesn't work like that. And even, even I think when people try to be like, "Yo, this this seems reasonable," I think it's it's hard to know what's reasonable without sort of grounding that in some sort of reality first. So I wanted okay. to look at what had happened in the past and see if I could maybe predict who the Sharks might be targeting in the future. All right, so you started by kind of digging into the recent trades the past couple of years. Uh, so what were your kind of findings for that? So these are all uh, looking at trades for forwards who the Sharks actually need. Uh, what what was the kind of generalizations you got from that? So I, went, I went through and I looked at, I think, so NHLTradeHistory.com, I believe. Um, as, and also Cat Friendly does too, which I realized, and I, that's probably a, a other way to look at it. Anyway, um, I looked at a bunch of trades for forwards that happened over the last few seasons. But I purposely excluded trades that happened in late uh, February, right around the trade deadline, because I think that teams Those are kind probably, of loaded. Yeah, yeah and I... teams kind of behave differently, and and teams know that they're getting rental a lot of the time, and other teams are in certain cap crunches or whatnot are teams that normally wouldn't be trading for players who suddenly find themselves in contention or like, Oh, I'm willing to break the bank for X, Y, and Z player that might not command that much during the summer. So I looked at with the exception of one or two, I think trades in early February, I, I looked at all the trades that mostly ex- exchange draft picks for forwards that happened during the summer or kind of early October, November, December timeframe in this season to see what that looked like. And so I, I, I looked at 18 different trades that happened uh, and averaged out some of the things that could be averaged. And so one of the main things was that GMs are actually pretty good about trading for players who are still in their prime. The average age of all these guys was 25 and a half years. So GMs were actually finding guys that were near their peak or still within their, their, their primes. These guys were averaging about 0.6 points per game. This is the season prior to, to when they were traded, by the way. So I guess the guys are a little bit older and that sort of thing, the season they're playing. But um, 0.6 points per game and, and pretty closely clustered around there. There are a few 0.4, 0.3 point per game players, but most of them are right around 0.6, 0.7. And they average about 16 nearly 17 minutes of time on ice. So pretty solid, I think, second line, second first line winger there. Uh, definitely a range, but um, that was sort of the profile. So guys were in their prime, were averaging a solid amount of points per game. 
uh, and ice time. And so you could tell that GMs are probably using similar ways of measuring what looks like a top six forward as they do when they're handing out contracts. So that was sort of my very loosely defined, very kind of manual, like top six GM player profile. What's up, guys? Trey Matthews of Locked on Devils here. And let me tell you about Discover Debit Cash Back. Wings for the game? Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey? Boom, cash back. Even a last-minute ice run could score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's a guaranteed win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one is a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit, Discover Bank, member FDIC. Got it. And with most of these trades, kind of what was the return that you're kind of looking at? So the Sharks, uh, of course, if we, we figure if they're going to try to make one of these, they're going to make it right up to or the day of the draft. Um, so what was the kind of return that most of these guys got? So, sorry, I, I said 18 before. There's only 15. I apologize. Um, but 10 of them involved us draft picks. Those involved an AHLer going back, but I assume that was more because the team sending the player back, need, they needed to exchange contract because one of them was up against a contract limit because looking at the the profiles of those AHL players, it, it was pretty clear they weren't ever going to become NHLers at the time of the trade. And maybe teams thought otherwise, but I'm not going to count them as like an asset essentially. So 10 of them were just, just a draft contract for contracts. Yeah, right, exactly. 10 of them were just um, draft picks. Only one trade returned uh, just one draft pick, which was Brian Boyle. And that was because he's a little bit of an outlier. He was 34 years old at the time and scored only 0.4 points per game. So he was, he was below the threshold of the average guy here and much older than the average player here. So it's understandable that he didn't warrant two draft picks. But all the other draft pick only returns were at least two picks. So there were the most common one was a second and a third and then something else. So like a second, a seventh, and a future third or a second, a third, and a sixth uh, or just a second and a third. Um, Got it. There were a couple that were like two seconds, and there were two that were uh, a first and a third, and one of those was conditional. So one was a third and a future conditional first, and one was a conditional first and, and a future third. So really, really, because of the, the conditions on the first round picks and the third, you're kind of coalescing around the idea of like two second round picks, give or take. So you, you start with two second round picks, maybe go down to two, three, and four, or go up to one and three, but put a condition on it. That was sort of that's like the nexus of where, what all these trade returns seem to be like. Uh, and then the five that returned NHLers and back for them were clearly kind of a step ahead of everybody else, like Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shen, Cal Turris, Max Pacioretty. Those were the guys involved in the trades that brought NHLers back the other way, who who even if, even if you um, dug into it more deeply, I think you'd probably find that there were much better than most of the other players above. Um, and they would return, like the Pacioretty trade was Thomas Tatar, Nick Suzuki, and a second round pick. Um, Kyle Turris was same, Sam Girard. I know this was a three-way trade, but 
Cal Turris with Sam Girard, Vlasov, Kamenev, and a second. So and O'Reilly got a bunch of two NHLers who were not good, but they got he got two NHLers. So there's that other sort of next tier up player who are playing kind of closer to like 18 plus minutes who are really considered, I think, closer to first line guys, like true first line forwards. They got more human assets in the package. So um, you could kind of split the two groups in half, but generally you're starting with this with two seconds or a second and third and going from there. Gotcha. So the Sharks do have two seconds this year. Um, so they could potentially, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good bargaining chip right there. If you're trying to land a top six uh, NHL forward who can contribute right away for a team that's basically mandated, you need to be competing for the playoffs again this year. So, um, and another thing too, with so with your kind of scenario, you are not, uh, you're kind of going with the team as is. There's a couple of slight tweaks here and there, but the team as is, you're not unloading a big contract like Martin Jones or a Vlasic or a Burns. Like this, since I assume it's because this team is supposed to try to compete for a championship or try to compete next year, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, there are two reasons. One, because if we're putting ourselves in Doug Wilson's shoes, he thinks his team is solid right now, but maybe a couple NHLers away from being back in the playoff hunt. So I don't, while I'm sure he understands that one of Vlasic, Burns, even Carlson, if you really want to go there, Evander Kane are like a hindrance to, to future success because of their cap hits, it strikes me, and Martin Jones, it just strikes me as unlikely that that the major move he makes is unloading one of those contracts uh, if if he thinks his team is solid and, and can add a few guys. So I was sort of operating under the pretenses that, um, I guess pretense is the wrong word, but operating under the idea that um, to keep things simple also, we're just going to look at what it might look like to use some of these draft picks to add a quote-unquote top six forward. So... I think part of it also is once you get into all these armchair GM things, it's really easy to like we talked to who at, at the top of the of the episode to kind of go off in all sorts of wild scenarios. But I just wasn't sure that I could credibly create a trade that dumped calorie salary cap space that like made sense. So I think it was easier to find a trade that would make sense in the real world by keeping it within like these constraints. So yeah, your team, um, you kind of, you brought some of the guys back. Uh, so like your your version of the team you brought. Uh, so you've re-signed LeBanc for uh, under $4 million. You brought Joe Thornton returns. Um, you still have, and then you kind of have some of the other guys. Uh, you re-signed Nason as well. Uh, so just kind of guys who were on the team last year. Um, and then kind of brought those guys back. Uh, you did not bring back our boy Melker. Poor guy. Uh, but um, And then you also having Merkley kind of make the jump um, to the NHL. Um, so, and Merkley makes a jump, Bergman, uh, True, and then uh, John Leonard. Like, you have these guys as potentially uh, NHL guys. I mean, a lot of these guys are going to be kind of those bottom six guys who might get swapped in and out throughout the season with depending on their play. But the team, for the most part, does look really similar to a team 
to the team that we saw last year with a couple uh, guys there. So, and another thing too, um, the con- the so there isn't expected to be a raise in the salary cap this year. Um, so it's supposed to be that eighty-one point five million again uh, going into next year. So there probably uh, won't be a. Um, you know, I know a lot of teams were kind of expecting that, but yeah, I think with the lack of actual games played here at the end of the season, that hurts the chances of the salary cap going up. So, um, all right, so we're looking for. So, how much money do we have to play with then after your? So I I. As you said, I signed guys, and I didn't just kind of sign them out of out of thin air. I used Evolving Wilds contract projections to sign Nason and LeBanc and, and Thornton to like about what uh, they're projected to sign for to keep things realistic. And as you mentioned, I have Merkley in in the first team, and Nikolai Kinyazev is a scratch, and Dylan Gabriel is a scratch. But the point is, is that it could be anyone. But but the Sharks are gonna have to sign a bunch of like veteran minimum and or use ELC contracts to fill in the space. So it was less about the players and more about the amount of the contracts to try to figure out the salary cap space. Um, so with that arrangement, it leaves the Sharks with $3.6 million in cap space. And then I sort of said, well, if needed, maybe the Sharks can send over another entry-level contract. So I said they have an extra $900,000 on top of that, basically. But then I also said, well, let's assume that Doug Wilson wants to keep a little bit of a buffer of, of a million bucks. So that essentially leaves them Something with happens. Yeah. Or, yep. Yeah. Right. Right. Money. You don't, yeah. You don't want to go into whenever the next season happens, like exactly at the cap. So, um, just to play with. So they don't really have a lot of options there because, uh, Again, we're not getting into the scenario where maybe they ship out a Marcus Sorensen somehow or whatever. We're just looking at what they can do to use draft picks to add a player. And um, $3.5 million is about as expensive as they can get. So that was our, our final constraint there. All right, so look at for a forward who's going to cost no more than kind of $3.5 million dollars. Um, they score around 0.6 points per game, and then they're in the kind of around 25 years old, you know, give or take a couple of years there, and then they play between uh, kind of 11 to 18 minutes a night. So that's like your top six, kind of like your second line forward who can slide in. Um, so give me the list. All right, and I and. I did use 11 as my search parameter, but that's definitely not what teams yeah. would consider. I just, I wanted to go. Give you a little bit of a wider net. Above. Right, right, exactly. I needed to, and I, and so I, I looked at players who also scored as little as 0.4 points per game, as high as 0.8 points per game. Um, so my my list, and oh, and the final thing is, is that Dylan Gambrell is the only forward on the Sharks roster right now, currently signed, who's a right-handed shot. So all right, so we need a righty. Yeah, need a righty. So I also I also cut the population down a bit because I'm assuming that Doug Wilson doesn't want a forward core of all lefties. So that's why I, I also cut it down to just right hand shot players. So our list is Oliver Bjorkstrand from Columbus, Brendan Gallagher from Montreal, Jean Gabriel Pajot from New York Islanders. Connor Garland on the Arizona Coyotes, Josh 
Livo on Vancouver, Joel Armia on Montreal, Brett Connolly from Florida, Kevin LeBanc is on the list. Um, oh, Martin, Martin Firk. I know it's nice. Martin Firk um, from LA, Marco Grimaldi on Nashville, JT Comfort on Colorado, Andres Casse on Boston, Travis Boyd from Washington, and Oscar Sunquist from St. Louis. So 14 potential guys that fit within these parameters that are more or less, give or take, around sort of the average of this top six forward profile. Have you ever seen an NHL player get off a team bus and think to yourself, gosh, I wish I could dress that nice? Well, with Indochino, you can. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Recently, I was shopping for a new dress shirt for my upcoming wedding, and when I decided to go with the Hyde Herringbone shirt, I was blown away at all the customization options I had. I could change the type of collar, cuffs, and even decide whether or not I wanted a chest pocket, all while being incredibly affordable, especially given the quality of the product I was getting. New colors, fabrics, and outerwear styles are added regularly too, so it's easy to create your next look. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code NHL to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code NHL. All right. So you uh, so you kind of whittled it down based on, um, you know, kind of maybe like guys just resigned deals or... You know, maybe the team, they still have money, uh, you know, like they have plenty of cap space and stuff like that. So let's kind of whittle it down to the final four. So who are the your potential tree candidates? So, yeah, so I looked at our list of 14. I looked at what their team situation was. I tried to see if maybe there are some rumors about a player being moved out beforehand or problems or whatnot and so i sort of eliminated players who were on teams that had no cap issues or like in in gallagher's case as good as he is i don't know why montreal would trade him um yeah so final list that i came down to is oliver bjorkstrand connor garland andres casse and oscar sunquist which depending on how much time you spend looking at shot blobs is either very exciting or very depressing or just like, okay, that's fine. Fine. That's a fine list. So that's, that's our final four right there. That's our final four. Maybe not exciting, but to me, right, on, make the case, make the case or for each one or, or kind of, okay. What okay. was your thinking? So. Strand, uh, Pierre Dubois needs a new contract and his new contract. If he signs anywhere near what evolving wild, models pro- projected to sign for is going to eat up almost all the blue jackets remaining cap room for the 21, 20, 20, 2021 season. Um, they also have to sign Josh Anderson, who's a pending restricted free agent, though there were trade rumors about him. So maybe they trade his rights instead. Um, they also last year in the farm, they traded one, two, three, four, five. They traded a handful of picks plus a prospect and a promising young forward last year and kind of bet the farm for the playoffs and, and it fell through. So the reasoning as to why so it they could work, be looking for assets. Yeah. They could be looking for assets. They need to cut some salary space. Um, 
in there and, and leverage the fact that they're up with their backs against the wall. The reason it wouldn't work is because Oliver Bjorkstrand is a restricted free agent, pretty young. He was playing second line minutes this season. Um, I don't know why, you know, they would trade him and not try to get rid of maybe one of their older players who isn't performing as well or, or find somewhere else to cut bait provided they, they uh, I'm assuming know how good he is or how good he was this past season. So um, the scenario is right, but for the motivation from the blue jacket side was lacking there. Okay. So next. Garland is in a similar position. He's only making $775,000 this year. He's going to be a restricted free agent. Um, but again, the Coyotes are up against the cap. They have some free agents to sign. Um, so similar situation where it makes sense. They need, they need to move someone, uh, but... The reason it doesn't make sense to me is because Connor Garland barely makes anything, uh, not even a million dollars, and you would think that they would find a higher price contract to move out if they wanted to give themselves some more wiggle room. And so I don't know why Arizona would move a 23, 24-year-old who barely makes anything rather than like a 30-year-old who makes $4 million, say. So again, motivation moving this particular contract isn't there from the other team. Got it. Next, we have Andre Kasse. What is what's his situation? The situation is he is arguably the best of this four in terms mm-hmm. of his his impact on shot differential, um, expected goal differential, shot danger, shot quality differential. The only problem is he's missed a ton, a ton of games over his first four NHL seasons, and so. While I hate to call a guy injury prone, the fact that he's never finished a full season. Um, it's a little worrisome. It's worrisome. It's worrisome. Um, Bruins just traded for him at the deadline, of course, assuming the season was going to go to completion and they were going to be able to use this guy in the playoffs. They sent a first round pick, a so so prospect, and the David Backus contract. For Kashe. So it's sort of weird because they, this is one of those kind of fantastical trades where people are like, oh, well, you could unload Vlasic and still get a good player in return, but I just feel like this doesn't really happen very often. I think Anaheim kind of screwed up a little bit and was interested in getting rid of an injured player and not dealing with it. And so the Bruins sort of took that risk, but also I don't expect that type of trade to happen more than once or that often, I think. So, yeah. And the reason that Boston wouldn't do it again is because Kashe is still going to be a restricted free agent when his next contract is up after the 2020-21 season. Um, and even after signing Tory Krug and Jake DeBrusque to the contracts that Evolving Wild projected for them, Boston still shouldn't really have any cap issues. So, again... It could make sense if Boston is, is just like, okay, yeah, this guy is too much of an injury concern. Let's ship him off and make even more room. But yeah. they're not quite so up against the wall where they really need to start shipping contracts out. And he's only under he's only there for another year after this if they want to keep him. So I just, again, the motivation from the Bruins doesn't seem to be there. Maybe the Sharks could throw in a prospect because the Bruins prospect pool is awful. 
and they'll be enticed by that, but I just don't know. Uh, it's not like the Sharks prospect pool is uh, littered with talent. Right, it's, so. yeah, exactly, exactly. So they could maybe make, you know, fool the Bruins into thinking someone who's 22 or 23 is is, is a worthwhile bargain, but um, it's hard. It's hard there. So finally, we've got Oscar Sundquist. Now, I probably could have just started by saying he's the only unrestricted free agent of the group and, and stopped there because yeah. I that makes it much more likely that Blues would... Um, are up against the cap as well. They're watching Alex Petrangelo walk in the offseason, the dude who just had a, a Norris-worthy season and has probably had multiple over his career. Um, they're going to have, a, I estimate, about $2 million in cap space with the new when the new cap comes in, if, if it stays at 81.5, according to Cap Friendly. Um, so Sunquist is interesting because he is signed for a few years and his, I think, $2.75 million cap hit isn't their biggest concern. But I could also see a team who's up against it willing to move someone who played mostly middle six minutes last year, um, wasn't like scoring a ton of raw points, wasn't playing a ton of minutes. Uh, I think he averaged only 14 minutes a night. He only scored 0.4 points per game. So on the surface is more of a middle six guy. Mm -hmm. uh, I could see them being willing to move him out for a couple of picks. So to me, oh, and then from the shark side, he's big. He's a power forward. He's that size. Yeah. Um, if you look at his five on five scoring rates, he's actually scored at the, at the rate of a first line forward the last two seasons. So even though his points per game rate isn't great, he's actually a little bit more impressive of a scorer than, than it looks like. Um, he looks like he's able to pick up his his offensive play driving a little bit when he played it in, in six minutes this season. So I think he kind of checks the boxes for both teams here more so than the other three players. So that's why I landed on Oscar Sundquist as the guy who my very manual, very small sample size in my brain model picks the Sharks will trade for. And it sounds like they could toss him up second round picks this year, maybe a second and one of their third round picks from next year. Um, some sort of package like that. If they do a next year third round pick, they might have to throw in the, a seventh round pick from this year as well. But but basically, if we're trying to predict what GMs will do or might do based on what they have done in the past, this seems like it makes the most sense provided we sort of nailed what they're looking for in the first place. Very well done, Eric. Very well done. So, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You try to grab a guy who, you know, might be a little underutilized over there. Um, not going to cost a lot. And then, you know, and it, like, I think everything makes sense there. So um, if you guys want to actually read the article instead of just listening to us uh, talk about it, um, Eric has tweeted it out and we'll tweet it out from the uh, the uh locked on sharks account so uh yeah i mean i think you know especially if the the sharks are trying to keep the core intact and try to make one more run um i think making a move like this uh you know could be a could work out dividends so yeah that's that's what i'm hoping if nothing else he'll at least push 
or someone like this could at least, or theoretically would at least push Marcus Sorensen, uh, Dylan Gambrell, other guys like that farther down the lineup. Pick them in their kind of better two spots. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so even if he's just fine third line winger, like that's much better than having someone struggling in a third line winger role. Sounds good. Awesome. Um, so yeah, that's going to be it for us today. Uh, we will be back on Wednesday, hopefully with all three of us talking about something. Uh, those are all <laughs> vague promises. <laughs> so vague promises. Yeah. Well, vague promises. Locked on vague promises. Uh, so yeah, uh, if you want to reach out to us at the show, you can tweet at us at locked on sharks. You can also shoot us an email at locked on sharks at gmail.com. But don't do that because we don't ever check it. Um, if you want to get a hold of Eric, you can find him on Twitter at foulball15, where he'll be more than happy to discuss why you should already pre-order your Oscar Sunquist Sharks jersey. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna owe so many people like two hundred dollars. I don't even know if they make Oscar Sunquist jerseys for the Blues. You could well. You could always just get a custom jersey. Custom, yeah, so. custom. I'm a, I'm gonna order my Sunquist jersey and put my put my money where my mouth is. I'm not actually. Yes. If if we get this right though, I think Doug Wilson has to come on the pod. That only seems fair. I think so too. I I if if somehow I manage to like nail this, I you crack the I'm, code. I'm gonna retire. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm not doing anything, but I'm gonna retire. Nice. Um, you can find me on Twitter at my fry hole, where I will be more than happy to talk about Tua because that's all I care about right now. Uh, and then well, you can you can find Kyle uh, on Twitter, Kyle Demetrius, the way you spell words that are spelled that way. Um, so yeah, that's gonna be it for us. Uh, we'll see you guys on Wednesday. Yeah. Gil Martin here, host of the Locked On NHL podcast. Join me every Monday for the three biggest stories from across the NHL, including how newly traded players are fitting in around the league. Check out the Locked On NHL podcast every Monday, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.